Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So how do you feel uh, knowing that we are going to talk about sex uh, for the next hour and a half? Um, Nervous? Excited? uh, Guilty? Self-conscious? Aroused? Tired of me asking questions and just wanting to get on with it? Um, You know, one of the things that I want to reiterate here uh, is that one of the most important things... Uh, that we will accomplish in our time together towards having a satisfying marital sex life uh, is gaining comfort with the subject of talking about sex. And so part of, if you ask, what is the big thing that I'm going to get coming out of this? Chances are, it is taking the time to hear somebody in a tasteful and wholesome way talk about sex giving vocabulary to the kinds of conversations that you could have with your fiancé and spouse. And from the Fuller Notebook of going through and having some conversation prompts that just helps you say, okay, if this is the part of the material that seemed most pertinent for us to discuss as a couple, what kind of questions would we raise to do that? Uh, And so uh, conversation would be that most beneficial thing. Yet, um, you know, as a disclaimer in getting started, I... I appreciated the words of Catherine Rosenau, uh, the wife of Doug Rosenau, somebody we'll quote several times through. Uh, In the preface to his book and at any of the conferences, uh, she always wants it to know, uh, this material is not an autobiography. Um, And and when it comes to talking about the subject of sex, I'm sure Sally would greatly appreciate me saying the same thing here in this context. This material is not an autobiography. And so if you don't like the material, there is no need to go up to Sally and say, I'm sorry, but I don't think your husband knows what he's talking about at all. Um, If you really enjoy the material and you see her in Walmart, that is probably not the best time to come up to her. That material on sex changed our life! Um, you would think those things don't need to be said, but at times it is better to go ahead uh, from my experience and, and give the warning label there. But, but in a comfort level of talking about the subject, uh, Tim Keller helps us see why, uh, why that's important. He says another mark of this community, talking about the life of the church, should be free and open discussion about how the Bible's perspective on sex plays out in life and relationships. The more often singles and married Christians reflect on the biblical teaching about this, the more support singles will feel for abiding by it. And part of the reason this kind of conversation is important is because, if we're honest, none of us had a good sex education. I mean, that awkward talk with our mom or dad. Uh, Did that really tell us everything that we needed to know about sex? No, I I don't want to put all of that at their feet. I mean, just how much life experience did we have to really assimilate what they were telling us? But no, uh, that that didn't give us everything we needed to know. 
and all of our friends in middle school and high school who were telling us all kinds of stuff about sex. I'm sure they knew what they were talking about. No, and you know, whatever we learned off of the internet, that had to be true and realistic, right? Um, well, and just kind of a, a young couple on their own, learning what they can by trial and error. I mean, that worked wonders for your golf swing. Um, I mean, just where are we supposed to learn what it is that we would want and even need to know in order to cultivate uh, a sustainable and satisfying sex life over the course of our marriage? Um, And so I want to start with a pop quiz. A pop quiz to help us think through maybe some of the things that we already think about sex and just to help us get comfortable with the subject matter. So here's the pop quiz. What are the three sexiest and most stimulating organs of the human body? If you were going to write down on the piece of paper in front of you, what are the three sexiest and most stimulating organs of the human body? And I would propose to you that you could write them down and not be embarrassed if somebody other than your spouse looked at your piece of paper. Um, And the way that we answer that question, I think, will radically revolutionize uh, the way that we think about sex and the experience both in quantity and quality of sex that we have within marriage. So the first thing, if I were going to give my first answer of the three, it would be your brain. It is our imagination. Uh, Too much. I think we try to make the physical stimulation of body parts rubbing together to do everything that the hype about sex is supposed to pull off. Um, And it can't. One of the things that I want to propose to you is that positive anticipation is the best sexual technique uh, that there is. And I think one of the things we have to do in a presentation like this is we just have to redeem and redefine what we mean by sexual technique. Because I think too often when we hear the word sexual technique, we think somehow I'm supposed to be able to dislocate both of my hips and spin around like a ceiling fan. Uh, It just, what we think when we hear the word sexual technique is in no way realistic. But just the cognitive imagination, anticipation that happens within the organ that is our brain is one of the things that will create the highest level of stimulation uh, that can happen in a couple's sex life. Second organ is skin. Our body is covered with an organ called skin that has nerve endings all the way through it. Too often, when we think about sex... We think about four body parts and four body parts only. We think about breasts, buttocks, penis, and vagina. And you just can't create a very rocking sex life if those are the only notes that you're playing. And we begin to try to reduce it to that in such a way that there's just no way to build the kind of physical stimulation that would bring us to a point that we could have the duration or intensity of experience that we want when we think about sex within marriage. And the third organ, we alluded to this one in in chapter 2 of our material, uh, is your ears. Uh, That sex is about celebrating a shared life. And, And there is no way to share a life together without listening and engaging to one another. Without listening, sex is just 
an above-average pleasurable form of cardiovascular exercise. Um, It is through listening and engaging with one another that our lives are connected in such a way that the act of sex is celebrating larger than the physical pleasure that it stimulates. In some ways, sex without listening is kind of like throwing a birthday party for Abraham Lincoln. You can have presents and cake and balloons, but it's going to feel like something's missing. The birthday boy. He's just not going to be there. When you try to have sex without engaging in the life of your spouse in a way that what you're doing is the celebration of something, you may have all the steps of sex. Uh, You may get some of the physical pleasure of sex, but it's going to feel like something is missing. And that's why Doug Rosenau, he said, the task that we face is not getting rid of all of our expectations, but basing them realistically on biblical principles. He says, it may seem like strange advice, but the quality of your sex life may depend on turning off the television, picking a good fight, becoming independent of your parents, setting up a budget, or taking a regular vacation. And we'll talk about several things in this, in this chapter 4 that, that begin to build up to a, a satisfying sex life. And the first of those is that sex begins with priorities. For too many couples, their sex life ends because they never manage their life well. Now, one author that I read said, passion begins with priorities, not with genitals. And that is so vitally important. You know, some of the kinds of questions that I think would be vital to a satisfying sex life within marriage. When do my spouse and I have the most energy and focus to enjoy each other sexually? Uh, What stressors do I need to manage most faithfully in order to protect our sexual uh, interest and vitality? If we're going to make sex a priority, we have to begin to ask some questions and make some priorities, we have to look at what are realistic expectations for my 168-hour week? Because if you try to cram 200 hours worth of good stuff into a 168-hour week, one of the first things that's going to get squeezed out is your sex life. You're going to have to protect time together. And that doesn't just mean date nights. There needs to be at least a couple of nights a week when you're at home just to enjoy your family. you need to examine the rhythms of your life to kind of figure out when are the optimal times for us to be intimate with one another. Um, And once you figure out when those times are, you're going to have to say no to other people in order to say yes to your spouse. If you have children, you need to have a regular bedtime for those sweet little munchkins. Um, Because if we let them stay up, we will consistently be too tired to enjoy one another. Now you hear that kind of advice, and it doesn't exactly sound breathtaking, you know, world-shaking. Uh, and it's kind of like the, uh, the guy who came to the counselor, and he's a country boy, and he said, you know, counselor, you hadn't told me nothing. My mama didn't tell me. Uh, and the counselor kind of shot back, if you did everything your mama told you, you wouldn't be here. Uh, and there's that sense of, Some of what it takes to protect a good marital sex life 
It's just the basics of managing life well because we have to recognize our sex life will never be better than our overall marital health. And so sex begins with priorities. Secondly, sex requires an environment. We don't have sex floating in midair. And as we talk about environment, uh, we'll talk about the physical environment, uh, the emotional environment, and the relational environment. Let's start with the physical environment. Now, part of that is privacy. In order to have sex, you need to be comfortable being nude. Um, And for different people, there's a different level of of comfort with that. And in honoring where your spouse is with that. Making sure that the door is locked and closed so that kids can't walk in or that windows to the bedroom have the blinds down and and not getting so caught up in the moment that you just want them to go along with you on that. It Honoring where their sense of privacy is is important. Uh, Cleanliness. Um, Sex is messy. Uh, It involves um, bodily fluids. And so having a washcloth available so that uh, it doesn't feel awkward or like something went wrong at the end can be an important thing to do. Uh, being clean, smelling good, uh, not being bristly on the face or on the legs so that we can enjoy being close uh, is part of having a satisfying sex life. Comfort. Sex requires bodies moving on their knees, back, stomach, and side. Uh, and thinking through that so that we create a, a comfortable environment for that to happen. Um, you know, that's why I think if we're candid with one another and we think through some of the common kind of sexual fantasies, we begin to realize they don't make any sense. Uh, sex on the beach. Uh, I mean, that basically involves grinding on sign paper. Uh, and little particles getting in places where they just don't belong, that's never going to work. But somehow we get wrapped up in fantasies and disappointed that those kind of things aren't happening and just thinking through a comfortable environment. Uh, Ambiance. Asking yourself the question, what would be arousing for my spouse? Asking them directly. Being playful and experimenting with that kind of idea. Candles, scents, closings, location. You know, the The reality is, most of what we would come up there would take less than five minutes on any given time, but it would be an indicator that we were putting together that extra degree of effort for this to be special, a moment when we were coming together to celebrate one another in a way that I am paying attention to things that are unique uh, and meaningful to you uh, that would greatly enhance our sexual experience. That's the physical environment. Uh, What about the emotional environment? Because when we come together as one flesh, that's not just two bodies. That's two souls coming together as well. Um, you know, and the, the first part there has to do with conflict. Um, you know, the, the sermon that kind of kicked off this is when I preached on romantic conflict. And one of the big points that we made was that conflict and romance are not two separate subjects. They're two sides of the same coin. Um, The same things that we fight over are usually the same things that we want in romance. If you're interested in catching that, if you look at bradhambrick.com backslash romantic conflict, you can find that message there. Uh, But just a couple of things, maybe a unique word to men and a unique word to women on this kind of situation. Uh, To men, uh, the things that, that we do in the minutes and hours and days leading up uh, to sex 
can be as important, if not more important, than anything that we do when clothes start coming off. Uh, Because it's about creating that environment where somebody feels safe and honored. Um, And for ladies, uh, in some ways, the, the female counterpart to grabbing and groping is wanting the moment to be exactly perfect and everything to be, you know, just the right time for us to be intimate. And the reality is, is there's, there's not that many perfect moments, at least not enough to sustain a satisfying marital sex life. Uh, and those are things that, um, again, I think we just need to remind ourselves of. Another area about that uh, emotional environment is uh, aspects of neglect. It unkept promises and unfulfilled responsibilities. Um, that marriage is supposed to be more than recreation. I'm sorry, sex is supposed to be more than recreation. It's a celebration um, of the covenant that we share. And when we begin to not keep our promises and not fulfill our responsibilities, then the more committed spouse begins to feel used. It begins to cheapen what sex is about. Uh, And one of the ways that we protect sex being and doing what it ought to do within marriage is by not neglecting our responsibilities and not unfulfilling our promises. A third area for that emotional environment is insecurities. Uh, And I think this one is hugely important. I would so encourage you as a couple, openly discuss what your insecurities are. Encourage one another in those areas. Help put those into perspective. Because uh, part, of, part of marriage and part of sex is being naked and unashamed. And that's not just our physical body, uh, but it's our whole person. And, and if I am inhibited by the insecurities that I have, then my ability to be free and confident and playful with you uh, during intimacy is going to be restricted. And so open communication and encouragement in those areas is vitally important. The seminar that we'll be doing on finding your confidence, identity, and security in Christ, it's not a seminar on sex, but I think in this area it can profound, have a profound impact on the quality of intimacy shared between a husband and wife as they begin to handle their insecurities in a way that they are more free uh, to be open with one another. And so the third environment uh, is the relational environment. Uh, here, um, you know, having times of regular touching and closeness, holding hands, cuddling, um, kissing that doesn't necessarily have to lead anywhere, uh, those things being important. Uh, date nights. You know, there's a reason why Appendix A in all five of the Gospel Center Marriage Seminar uh, gives you three dates uh, to reinforce the kinds of things that we're talking about in these materials. Uh, because Dates are important, and we want to give you some things where dates become part of the enrichment of your marriage. Uh, Now, not every date that you take is going to be like one of these stage dates that we give you uh, in the material, so just some other pointers on that. Uh, They should be protected uh, and prioritized. And when you go on a date, it should be enough of a priority that you never have to wonder when the next one is going to be. It should be balanced in who plans the dates. Uh, They shouldn't be a burden on the family budget. Uh, If they're creating stress financially, then it's going to come back and it's going to harm the marriage. Uh, The focus of the date should be each other 
more than the activity. Uh, and one of the things that I think often gets overlooked um, is just kind of planting places all over your city uh, that are reminders of special moments between you and your spouse. When Sally and I moved from Georgia to Raleigh-Durham, uh, one of the things that was missed is I just couldn't drive through the city and see places where we'd been on dates and had conversations. And it, it took a while for us to have dates and kind of plant that all over this area to where there was this perpetual positive reminder of special moments between the two of us. Another part of that would be uh, romantic surprises. And I would simply say, your day is absolutely full of opportunity uh, to find ways to romantically surprise your wife or your husband. Your spouse's phone should be full of text messages where you're just encouraging and affirming and talking about all the things that are special and unique in your marriage. Take the screensaver on your computer and give different messages that roll. Uh, write notes. Do things that you know that are important to your spouse, even if it's as simple as getting the paper. And this is the moment where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on a soapbox for a moment. So, I, I am so tired of hearing couples who, when they talk about their marriage in public, it is just what they can get away with and how little they have to do. I don't think there is any place for that in the public conversation of a Christian couple. Uh, that, that when we talk about who wears the pants in our family and who, what we can get away with and we're complaining about one another, there is no place for that. It is my goal Every time somebody comes into our home, I don't know if I accomplish it every time or not, but it is my express goal that they would see the kinds of things of what it is like to just plant through your house ways that you can encourage and affirm the things that you would point out just to lift up your spouse. I think part of our calling being salt and light in a culture that does not value marriage is when we speak of it, is that it wouldn't be about what we can get away with. Not that we're bragging or we act like that we got it all together, but we're exchanging ideas of the ways that we could bless and enrich and spur on each other in our marriages. And that should be part of the relational culture. That whenever Sally hears me speak of our marriage in any public forum, that it will be an affirmation. And if there's things that we need to work on, those are things that we will discuss between the two of us. But when we're in public, it will be the things that affirm her and build her up and highlight her strengths. Um, and so as we move on here, uh, Doug Rosenau, he says, in the busyness of life, lovers forget to make eye contact when they're talking, or for that matter, when they're making love. The eyes express so much acceptance, excitement, a longing to understand and sexual desire. Every mate who wants to be a passionate lover must practice the discipline of growing up and becoming a confident person. There is nothing sexier than men or women who are comfortable in their own skin. 
and can confidently launch into new adventures in wild and unique ways. And so the next aspect that, that I would draw out is that sex should involve anticipation. And uh, here I would make a statement that gets brought up maybe in terms of family vacations and we all kind of moan when we hear it. But with sex, getting there really is half the fun. It should be. If it's not, we're going to get to the end and it's not going to be as much fun as it could be. Um, in sex, if getting there is not half the fun, then most of the time we're not doing it right. Um, too often, we rely on physical stimulation, body parts rubbing together, to do what anticipation and imagination can only do. Um, and so let me give you a couple of ways, uh, two different vantage points, to think about the role of anticipation uh, in an enjoyable sex life. And the first of those is using anticipation to enhance your own experience. And so maybe start by asking yourself, what would put me in the best physical and emotional place to enjoy sex with my spouse? And that may involve looking at your schedule and saying, you know, what kind of decisions do I need to make? Uh, if it's possible, if it's a day when we're going to be intimate, maybe I take a nap so I have a little more energy. Or there's certain stressful activities that I move to a different day so that I can be fully present and fully engaged uh, with my spouse. Maybe I give my spouse a hint of what my intentions are later, and I am just enamored with the fact that I'm going to be on their mind all day long. And I use that as a point of affirmation and encouragement. I wear something that makes me feel attractive or sensual. Probably shouldn't be anything that anybody else would know that you're wearing, but just the awareness that I'm wearing something. It's a favorite color or an article of clothing that just... it. It draws out that side of me, and it's something that I use to build anticipation. Replaying compliments that my spouse has given me throughout the day, so that when I come together to be with my spouse, it really is the celebration of a total, or a total relationship, and not just a physical activity of recreation. Uh, and then, really learning to enjoy the fact that this is one way that God has given me to bless my spouse that nobody else gets to bless them. This is unique to me in the way that I get to bless my spouse and that, that adds the energy and the anticipation to what we share together. But then also anticipation should be used to enhance your spouse's experience. Um, and I think part of that is just, just us remembering uh, that a big part of sex is feeling wanted. And so anything that we do to make our spouse feel wanted and appreciated is going to enhance the physical relationship that we share with one another. And so maybe it starts by just asking them the question, well, what are the best ways for me to leave you simmering all day long thinking about me? Well, that question in and of itself uh, it's such a good anticipation question to ask. Um, or uh, initiating a conversation about what are, the f what are your favorite sexual experiences that we've had together? I mean, every other area of our life, we reminisce about the things that were most enjoyable and most satisfying. Uh, taking the opportunity just to reminisce about those sexual encounters that had 
a unique aspect or they were in a special location or it just, there was something about it that made it stand out. Uh, Those are the kinds of conversations that reinforce to one another, we really do have a good sex life and there's things worth remembering. And it kind of draws out those things that we would do to make that uh, special or exciting again. Um, You know, if there's a day that you know, as you've looked at the rhythm of your life, and this is kind of the point where we, we normally have sex on Wednesday. Maybe it's Tuesday, and you look at your spouse and you say, you know, it's only Tuesday, but I'm really looking forward to Wednesday. And you just build that sense of anticipation for them. If there's something that you know that they really like, an article of clothing or perfume or cologne, uh, in the morning asking them to pick that out, Uh, and letting them know what your intentions are for letting them pick that out, just to keep that on their mind. Or to flirt with them in a crowd discreetly in a way that, um, you know, I this party is okay, but I'm really looking forward to the private after party more than this. And just kind of let them, you know, the torture of waiting through that and knowing what the intentions are and the playfulness of that. Those are the kinds of things where you can use anticipation to be something that, because as we'll talk about in just a minute, sex, healthy sex is 80% imagination and 20% friction. And so often we want to get the maximum pleasure just out of the friction and we lose those parts that is the romantic narrative that we place around it that makes sex truly a celebration. And so sex should involve anticipation, Sex also calls us to focus. I mean, just pause for a minute and think about your favorite hobby. Is your favorite hobby as enjoyable when you're distracted? No, it's not. And sex isn't either. But yet at the same time, we all live really busy lives. And so the question becomes, how do we focus to give ourselves to the moment of being intimate with our spouse in the way that we... We really do want to, but in the midst of everything going on, it's just, it's difficult. Well, I think everything that we just talked about with anticipation, when we've anticipated something and it comes, our ability to focus on it is much greater. I think also just understanding that, that sex is something that God gave us to enjoy. It's not some guilty pleasure that we have to kind of take a time out and we make a little time for this. No, it really is something that God would give us the freedom to want to enjoy. Again, we're going to have to manage our schedule and our finances in such a way that we're not living in crisis. Because when you're in crisis, it's very hard to be focused. Getting your work-related tools out of the bedroom, your cell phone, your laptop, those kinds of things. Consistently making eye contact during the time when you're being intimate. Again, that's the kind of thing that just captures your attention on your spouse. And then taking time to cuddle and affirm one another afterwards so that sex doesn't feel like a task that's being completed so that we can get on with whatever we have to do next. Setting that side of time after sex to enjoy one another for a little bit longer so that we put a protection, a buffer on the backside of sex. It allows us to focus. And... And as we continue to move along here in this foreplay aspect, we get to, um, to non-touch forms of bonding. Uh, and that's why C.J. Mahaney would say to men, and I think it's equally relevant uh, to women, in order for romance to deepen, 
you must touch the heart and mind of your wife before you touch her body. Uh, And as we begin to go into these non-touch forms of bonding, uh, we're going to get into some material from Doug Rosenau uh, where he gives what he calls 12 stages of pair bonding. It, uh, and it's at this point where I, I want us to make a, a big point here. Uh, that it's often neglecting the early aspects of this bonding that leads to kind of a ho-hum sex life. Uh, and I think oftentimes when I've talked to couples, and maybe particularly Christian couples who've engaged in premarital sex, and they'll begin to, and they kind of look down and they feel guilty and ashamed when they say it, but they're like, our premarital sex was better than our marital sex. And we don't understand. And oftentimes part of the reason for that is, is because they were trying to resist having sex. And so they were taking their time, they were trying not to cross that line. And they were going through all of the stages of enjoying one another, all of the forms of bonding as they tried not to cross that line, so that when they got to the point of sex, uh, they were mentally and physically in the optimal position to enjoy really good sex. And then when we get married, we skip steps 1 through 8, we go 9, 10, 11, 12, and where did it go? And so I want to say these early parts are vitally important uh, to enjoying a satisfying sex life. And the first of those is eye to body. And here I would simply say, don't stop enjoying one another, noticing one another. Uh, Allow that to be flattering. Um, when When you notice your spouse, begin to associate with them, with their with their attractiveness, all of the other blessings that they bring into your life. Uh, So that as you enjoy and you look at them, you begin to associate that with all of the richness and depth that they bring uh, to your life. So that enjoying their physical appearance is much more rich uh, than just their physical appearance. Uh, So there's eye to body. Then there's eye to eye. Get my encouragement here, don't waste a date night uh, where you don't take a few moments just to stare into the eyes of your spouse. Because when you look into the eyes of someone, it sends the message of belonging, of mutuality, of enjoyment, of a freedom from shame. And when you allow someone to look into your eyes, it communicates acceptance, trust, interest, and openness to relationship. And that's not something that we should fast forward through once we get married. And so, let me give you another pop quiz here. Okay, Pop quiz two. What are the three sexiest things you can wear? Again, this is the kind of thing that you can write down on a piece of paper, not going to be embarrassed. Guys, it is not a Speedo, and if you disagree with me, Do not come tell me afterwards. Um, But what are the three sexiest things that you could wear? Um, Answer one, a smile. It's just bonding. It draws people closer. 
I will tell you, a smile will do more than losing 10 pounds, getting a new wardrobe, or a makeup makeover could ever do. It just creates this positive atmosphere. And during foreplay, uh, it encourages uh, this attitude of playfulness and engagement uh, that this is, I want you to enjoy me. And so a smile, eye contact. Again, it, everything that we said just a moment ago, um, but eye contact is the kind of thing that says sex is about connecting with a person more than just the activity. And again, you should build your own excitement by looking into your spouse's eyes and seeing the pleasure that they're taking in being with you and allowing that to be part of what builds this sense of energy and anticipation in you. And thirdly, confidence. That oftentimes what makes our efforts at, at being sensual for our spouse feel like it falls short is that we're trying. We, we kind of go into it kind of hoping it's going to work, feeling a little self-conscious as we're doing it. Recognize this is a moment for an audience of one, for somebody who has already fully accepted you and joined into a covenant with you, who loves you for better or worse in good times and in bad, um, when your jokes are funny and when they're not, when your dancing is good and when it's not. Uh, and allow that to give the kind of freedom uh, just to be confident. Because that confidence is very appealing. Uh, that's what Linda Dillo and Lorraine Pentis are getting at when they say to be sexy is to be aware of your body as an instrument of playfulness and delight. To be able to communicate this awareness to your husband, or I'd say to your wife, and give him the, deli- give him the gift of your body for pleasure, delight, variety, and playfulness. We're going to tell you a secret. It's better to be sensuous, to be confident, than to have a perfect ten body. One of the quickest and best ways to feel good about your body is to have a rewarding sexual relationship with your husband. Good sexual experiences breed high levels of body satisfaction. So again, that's just to conclude that point about the role of confidence in being attractive and being sexy. But the third area of pair bonding is voice to voice. That our goal should be that that our voice should be a source of peace and security to our spouse. They feel safe when they hear our words. That's why it's so important to protect conflict and not let it be a time of harshness or condemning. Because we want our voice to be a place of safety. Because safety is the first part of arousal. Security is huge to romance. When we talk about the kinds of things that lead to sexual impediment where we are restricted or inhibited, it almost always has to do with uncertainty, with insecurity, with feeling unsafe. Those forms of anxious experiences are the primary killers to a healthy sex life in the way that we talk to one another and the safety that we feel in the presence of each other's voice 
is hugely important to be able to give ourselves away. I want us to pause and think about something here for a moment. To this point, we've just gone eye to body, eye to eye, voice to voice. Nobody's really touched anybody yet. And yet the kind of romance and energy uh, that we have talked about cultivating here, I would think it seeds the common marital experience of intimacy. And I just want to highlight for the simple purpose of saying there is nothing that we're about to talk about as we get to touching that is more important than the things that we've already talked about. Um, Doug Rosenau, he says, Making love needs to be based on an intimate marital partnership. Without the playful, loving companionship, sex becomes another buzz or rush that loses its perspective and has increasingly diminishing returns. You cannot work at creating better lovemaking. You and your mate have to play at it. Sexy lovers take the time to develop the sensual, romantic part of their minds and personalities. Sex is perhaps 80% fantasy, that is imagination in the mind, and 20% friction. Granted, pleasuring erogenous zones, that is friction, is fun, But what truly creates the excitement is your mind. Uh, And so we're beginning to move uh, from that, uh, that mental, imaginative, anticipatory part to the touching. And so now sex moves to mild touching. And this is where we have to define what do we mean by mild touching. Uh, And we're going to go kind of three levels of erogenous zones, and it's going to feel like first base, second base, third base a little bit. Um, But I think we just need to understand what these things are so that we use them well. Uh, Level three is the entire body. Again, our entire body is covered with nerve endings that we can use to pleasure and stimulate our spouse. Uh, Level two uh, is maybe more the traditional foreplay regions of the body. Inner thigh, abdomen, uh, the small of the back, on the neck, face, mouth. These are things that if we're going to create the optimal level of pleasure and anticipation, we need to be patient and skilled in stimulating those areas. And then finally, uh, level one is genital and and nipples. If we go directly to those areas very early, uh, then we impede uh, the intensity and duration of pleasure that we're going to get from sex. And so let's start with the mild touching. And here we hit kind of the fourth area of pair bonding uh, that is hand-to-hand. Take a moment and remember, when was the first time you got to hold your spouse's hand? They reached for yours, you reached for theirs, and they accepted. There was that sense of, we are publicly saying we belong to one another. It was exciting. It was affirming. We don't need to lose that. Um, I mean, think about it this way. Most of the Christian life is not learning new things about God and the gospel. It is appreciating those things and seeing their relevance more deeply and in more and more situations. The same is true for the romantic involvement of a husband and wife. Being husband and wife, and what's really satisfying about that, isn't the things that we get to do after marriage, as if sex is going to make all of the romance of marriage, and that's what we're going to do for 50 years. Uh, And that's going to be the totality of what makes it special. 
if we ever lose the specialness of those first things, we lose a lot. And then there's arm to shoulder. Um, Remember the first time uh, that your spouse came to you to ask for help or assistance or support? You felt promoted. They want me there. They want me to be a part of this. You didn't feel demoted. You didn't feel burdened. And too often we just lose the significance of these things. Uh, the sixth part of the pair bonding is arm to waist. And that's just another level of closeness. With friends, we side hug, we hug up here. Uh, you let somebody get your arms around your waist, uh, that's just another level of closeness. And the more we minimize the significance of lesser touches, the more we're going to expect from the greater touches, and we're just going to we're going to kill the buildup that allows them to fulfill on that. Let me offer a challenge to you here. Uh, if you will, uh, for 15 seconds a day, uh, come up to your spouse, put your arms around their waist, hold them and look in your eyes. I think you will begin to feel a shift in the romantic culture of your home. If you want to take that up another level, take 60 seconds, come up, put your arms around their waist, look in their eyes, give them a kiss that means something but doesn't have to go anywhere, and just begin to stroke their face. 60 seconds. And we'll move from culture change to climate change within your home. Um, now, uh, mouth to mouth, kissing. If the only time a couple kisses is in the minutes before sex, they're in trouble. A couple should do more romance kissing than they do foreplay kissing. Um, and it takes a bit of a mature person to, to engage in this form of affection and not immediately launch the, or ignite the launch sequence and think we've got to go somewhere with that. But just some aspects here. There should be some hugging and kissing that goes on whenever you're about to part from one another at uh, the beginning of your day. Let there be a variety in the duration of your kisses. Uh, don't let them always be quick pecks or they've got to go somewhere. Let there be a variety in the location. Uh, kiss on the lips or on the cheek, the neck, the shoulders. You go anywhere other than that, we're probably going somewhere. But, but begin to kiss in, in those areas in a way that's just part of enjoying and affirming your spouse. When your spouse kisses you, give some verbal or uh, physical indicator that you like it. Um, give a giggle, give a little moan. Let your back kind of lean in a little bit. Give those indicators that say, I like this. And let there be some verbal affirmation and eye contact that goes along with that. And then the last part we'll talk about in terms of the, the foreplay aspects is hand-to-head. Uh, and this is one that, that often gets neglected within a lot of uh, romance um, literature. But if you think about it, not many people get to touch your face. A good indicator of how close somebody is to you is that if they reach for your face, do you pull back or do you lean in? I think we miss part of the significance 
of Revelation 21.4 when it says that Christ will wipe away every tear? That's not just a sign of His tenderness. It's a sign of our closeness to Him, the way that we will trust Him. Because when you allow someone to touch your face, it's a way of saying, I have no space in which you are not welcome. And part of our goal in every aspect of what we're doing here is to take every element of bonding and to just unpack it and put on display. This is, this is the kind of closeness. This is the kind of excitement. This is the kind of satisfaction that God intended when He gave us bodies in which to live and love one another. And I want us to see that. And that's why in the conclusion of this chapter, what I ask you to do is to go back and read the Song of Solomon. Now that's a book we don't read a whole lot. Because too often we read the Bible just to find what we already know. And we don't really know what we're looking for in the Song of Solomon, so we just avoid it. And again, we've got to update it, because some of the compliments that these people give each other, I mean, they're kind of old school compliments. Uh, you tell your wife that her mouth looks like a herd of sheep, and she's probably not going to know how to take that. But I think what you will find as you go through this, all of the kinds of enjoyment, all of the kinds of touches, all of the kind of slow and patient enjoyment of one another that we've walked through in this chapter 4, you'll begin to see. And you'll see that there is a biblical basis for the things that we're talking about. And that God does want us to talk about and enjoy these things. Part of our battle in a discussion of sex is to see that sex is holy. And that we can come to it with an aspect of wholesomeness and unashamedness and enjoy it for the good gift that God intended to give to us.